we just need to talk about it, talk about it, be as open as you can with your feelings. But we don't really talk about what happens when you do talk about things and it still hurts or it still isn't getting better because that's when you start to feel like this is just a problem with me. I'm cursed. You know, there's something in my genes. I'm, I'm a broken piece of hardware. Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it. We certainly don't talk about it enough. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, are not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations with survivors as best I can. A huge, ginormous thanks to all the survivors who have joined me here on the podcast to talk. And, oh, by the way, this week we passed 14,000 downloads per month. Now, you know I'm not a math guy or an algorithm guy, and I don't really give a shit about numbers. But what it means, I think, is that more people in more places are hearing these stories of survival by these badasses and maybe, I hope, feeling a little less shitty and a little less alone. Now, if you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. And as you hear me often say, check the show notes to learn more about other ways you can contact us, ways you can support and sponsor our programs and presentations, and our upcoming membership, which I know I've been talking about for several weeks now, but it is coming very soon, as is our website. Paso a Paso, as they say down here in Mexico, where I have been since November, though this is the final recording before this bald guy heads back to North Carolina. Finally, we are talking about suicide on this podcast, as the title suggests, and I realize that may not be a good fit for everybody, so please take that into account before or as you listen, but I do hope you listen, because there is so much to learn. Today I am talking with Ewan. Ewan currently lives in Scotland. And he is a suicide attempt survivor. Hello, Mr. Ewan. How are you? I'm doing fine, Sean. How are you today? I'm doing okay. Um, what have you been up to today? Me? <laughs> I mean, yeah. just uh, had a good conversation with somebody for this podcast who lives in the Midlands of UK. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what that means, but yeah. Some of it's a bit grim and industrial, uh, like mm-hmm. Birmingham. It's kind of a Pittsburgh, Detroit type of thing. Where Where are you located? I'm in London right now, but I'm on a on the edge of the uh, city uh, in a quite leafy, kind of lakey sort of suburb, which is quite quite pretty actually. Leafy and lakey sounds nice. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's a nice. It's pretty close to the town as well. It's about twenty minutes. You reached out to me. I have a podcast in which I talk to suicide attempt survivors. Which makes me think, even though I know we emailed a little bit, the audience hasn't heard any of this. So I'm very good at math. I'm going to put together here that you are one of them. Uh, yeah, I've come quite close to that. Um, I've sort of stared various attempts in the face, never quite managed to bring myself to go through with them. I think it's probably where I put myself. But it's um, I've been kind of clinically depressed. I was thinking, first of all, it's just good to talk to you because... Um, I'm actually signed off work right now, sort of mental health leave. I'm feeling pretty good today, but um, it's been a major theme throughout my life. And I find the podcasts you run um, and things like it have been like a real major kind of source of kind of solidarity and, I don't know, community for me. So mm-hmm. I guess I kind of figured if, if other people help me out, then maybe I can help somebody else out via what you do. So thank you for uh, running the running the cast. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. You're definitely welcome. And yeah, you, I appreciate you wanting to sort of pay it forward, so to speak. Thanks. So today's a decent day. You've come super close several times, it sounds like. I'm always curious, particularly of late, and I don't know exactly why, how'd you find me? How'd you find this? I think I've found that learning about other people's issues with depression and, and suicidality learning about how other people have come to these places um, helps me feel like less of kind of a freak really and it opens my perspectives to 
other ways of looking at things. So really and truly, man, I mean, quite often I just type in the word suicide to uh, like Spotify. I think it must be Spotify. That's where I mm-hmm. found you. Sure. And then I get the, the generic Google, you know, please don't harm yourself type message. Oh, yeah, right, but, um, right, right, right. You put it in Google or YouTube or certain other platforms, mm. like a, this response of call this number or whatever, right? That's mm. right. But I, I think I just put it into Spotify. Um, or maybe I was, um, there's a musician, uh, you may know, actually, um, it was really sad a couple of years ago. The, there's a band from the UK called Frightened Rabbit and their mm-hmm. singer, they're quite big in America. Um, their singer, unfortunately, uh, took his own life four years ago, 2018. And I'm, a, I'm a musician as well. I didn't know the guy personally, but I was a big admirer of his work. Their family have started a, cha- a charity which focuses on the mental health of young children. And, and how sort of untended to problems in, in mental health in children can, can make for, you know, troublesome adult lives. Mm. Um, so it might have been something to do with that that I was listening to. I, I can't quite remember. Does that, uh, I guess that's a good segue. So I'm curious, does that apply to you, sort of childhood, teenage years where it was rough? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I had a really rough childhood. Yeah. Which um, I'm sure um, pretty much um, a lot of the reading I do nowadays is, is all to do with sort of generational trauma. I forget whom it's by, uh, The Body Keeps Score. I think it's by yeah, Barbara Yeah, Martin. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and just the way to do with your, your physiological changes are kind of, I was talking to somebody the other day about like, you know, people have these emergent traits in their kind of 40s and 50s. And then, hey, presto, here's a brain tumor or here, here's a stroke, here's a heart attack and dementia and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, but is, is it any wonder if you look at the lives we lead? And these kinds of things, but uh, yeah, childhood is. Uh, my parents had a, a really horrific divorce when when I was eleven. I guess I kind of had some pretty. I guess the roots of that kind of depressive tendency. Um, I mean, my earliest memories is being terrified of my biological father. You hear people say this all the time, kind of. Oh, I was scared of my. I was terrified of my dad when I was a kid. Ha 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 ha. But like, that's not normal. That's not good. Um, and especially if like, you're like a man, like a young man, you know, respecting somebody and fearing somebody are not the same thing. So mm-hmm. I was definitely surrounded by lots of slamming doors and loud noises. And thank heavens I wasn't sort of sexually abused or like some people have to endure. Uh, it wasn't like beaten bloody to a pulp, but the threat of violence was always around. So we've had kind of, you know, sort of being held up by the throat and having the door next to your head punched through and that type of lots of screaming and shouting and like the, the threat of my mum maybe being injured, um, that type of thing. So yeah, that, that was the start of, of all of that type of thing. Do cool. you remember, uh, what kind of remember when you first started thinking about suicide? Um, I think I re- remember knowing what death was quite early on because I had a wonderful maternal grandfather. Um, who actually taught me how to play the piano when I was quite young. He died slightly before my parents split up. Um, so that would have been when I was nine or 10. I was very kind of shy, wasn't an extrovert, but I was very sort of artistic and musical and, you know, mm. kind of cried at beautiful music and, you know, that that type of guy, which I still am now, really. So very sensitive, quite emotionally literate, I think, for a child. I think I remember kind of like, wanting to disappear quite early on because I was in the midst of this. My mum and father had a really, um, like I say, horrendous divorce. And as I've become older, I, I've, I've come to kind of realize they probably shouldn't have been together at all. I think my mater- my mom was very loving. She was very affectionate. But, um, you know, in terms of the job of being a parent, they, they didn't do like a, a good one. They didn't give us a good start in life. I remember kind of like harming myself um, mm-hmm. to some extent when I was quite young. I was lucky in a weird way because when I was about 12 or 13, I kind of found like heavy metal, really. Uh, my dad was a big rocker fan and I started playing the guitar. I know this is a kind of trite cliche and stuff. You know, and people say, oh, I heard Ozzy Osbourne, Suicide Solution, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, like in Black Sabbath, Paranoid, it's like, I tell you to end my life. I wish I could, but it's too late. Uh, Nirvana as well, that talks mm-hmm. about a lot of... Mm-hmm. Those, those types of things. I think I definitely like cut myself when I was a teenager. I don't know if that was really, I think maybe that was more of a cathartic thing than, than genuinely trying to push, put myself away. But yeah, I guess it's just that whole kind of like inescapable situation that you just want to disappear from. Right. Yeah. 
It is hard because you got to remember back and it's sometimes the past is murky. You almost got there. When, how, about how old were you when, I guess, the first one makes sense to start there? That, that was a little bit later in life, actually. And I think the problem was is a lot of this stuff from childhood, mm. um, very quickly, I mean, where it went from there, um, I kind of got kind of shoved out of, of where I was living with my biological father. Not really because I was doing anything wrong, but I, I was just I was kind of like a, I was working as well as studying the whole time. But I was just kind of an unwanted tenant, really. My biological mom moved a long, long way away, uh, about 300 miles away, or maybe 280 miles away, to be with a new guy. I was working and playing in a kind of punk hardcore band and kind of touring in the UK. And when I say touring, I was kind of working in a coffee shop and and like a washing machine depot and kind of getting in a van and going. So it wasn't touring, touring, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I then went to university to study music in London. And I think I just kind of parked all this trauma that had just been kind of like building up my entire life and all this kind of anger that just wasn't uh, tended to, I think. Uh, When I was at uni, uh, university, I think I was 22, this must have been. Mm-hmm. Um, or just about 23, I had a kind of, um, how to describe it? I guess you could say like a sports injury, which really, um, I had to have some surgery on my, um, on my kind of genitals. And uh, I was in a relationship at the time and I, it took like a year before I could really like function. And I felt really humiliated by that. Uh, I felt really alienated and kind of like maimed. And I felt like mm. I'd like not really be able to be intimate or loving with somebody again. So I was heavily depressed during that period. And that really did. I had like a really, really high balcony in this giant house. And I used to go out there at nighttime and, and look across the city. And um, um, I've read about, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of this phenomena, but like this can be the case that when sometimes people go to harm themselves or end their lives, it's the first time in their lives they feel like they've actually got control of things. And it kind of stops them. It's like the first moment they've ever felt any, they've actually got any kind of agency. So I, I don't know, sometimes I go on these like giant hikes and I don't know, find like a overpass or something and just kind of like stare down at the traffic. And I don't know, weirdly looking over that precipice kind of made me almost kind of laugh at myself, kind of, what are you you kidding kind of thing. But yeah, just kind of, that was probably the first time I really was in kind of danger of myself, I suppose you could say. Yeah, because I was like, I felt like I was letting down somebody I really cared about as well felt kind of monstrous in that way. So sure. early 20s, it sounds like you, in a way, you got closer to it, but, and, and again, I could be off here. Mm. You learned something about that whole thing when you referenced the idea of agency. Mm-hmm. When I hear yep. that, it makes me think, and I don't know if I'm getting this right, so it makes sense that that would be an option for you, knowing that you could feel that way when you rarely feel that way, moving forward. Yeah, I think uh, it, it was that was one of the reasons I felt unruddered and kind of um, small and like worthless is because I know this isn't a unique thing to me, uh, but one of the things that, you know, if, if you're kind of working minimum wage and you're kind of being trodden over and bossed around and told mm-hmm. you're two minutes late and, you know, having mm-hmm. to ask permission to go to the bathroom and you have a tyrannical parent figure who's who's a total kind of bully and tyrant and doesn't let you speak your voice and you know I, I also when I was in my late 20s I had a girlfriend who was really overbearing and um, that kind of thing and I was I remember feeling like kind of oh this is like the first time in my life I've ever actually like been the, the steward of my own destiny or something mm-hmm. uh, o- oddly that was what surprised me it was kind of inspiring to get to that point and then be like oh wow I actually have some control for once right it makes sense yeah and all this time and this is going back to childhood does anyone know about your what you're going through that's only happened recently actually my girlfriend when i was in my early 20s definitely knew something was wrong i had some really actually this is one thing that this kind of struggle has um made me appreciate is i actually have a lot of really really great friends and mm-hmm. like really long-term friends and i know not everybody has that uh so somebody noticed i have marks on my arm and that maybe i was i guess when you're at university in your early 20s you tend to drink a lot but mm-hmm. you know i think i probably was doing it in a way that wasn't healthy yeah so so people did know that um later in my life is actually only i'm 34 now i'm about to be 35 in a week quarter life crisis 
it's weird actually i was talking to a pal um the other day who's who's gay he's a gay man and it was kind of like uh the way that i've had to kind of disclose it to my family it, it feels a little like how he described talking about being gay to somebody else to his wow. family rather mm-hmm. i'm really lucky because um i've got a younger brother who's three years um younger than me and he's my kind of best pal in the world he's kind of confidant and comrade and you know we 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 show up for each other any day uh whereas the rest of my biological family i think they care to some extent but they they're geographically a very long way away and in a typically british kind of sense it's like when you try to raise things like this and and try to kind of disclose what's going on it's kind of a source of resentment for me to be honest with you because they're they're sort of not interested mm-hmm. maybe they maybe they don't really know it must be an uncomfortable thing to hear but um mm-hmm. yeah it's it's weird because when i do share it with with certain people it is a bit like you know too bright i only asked if you were okay and now you've told me i'm not okay i was kind of not really banking <laughs> on that whereas um conversely some other people who i'm not related to have been extremely helpful and supportive and struggling with with similar uh, similar mm-hmm. things so that's been a huge source of strength that I'm, i don't take for granted because i i know not everybody has lifelong friends so so i'm really lucky in that regard yeah when you i, I get what you say when you're when you're when you mention how it is in sort of i think you said the british way or the english way in terms of stiff up for lip <laughs> but you know i don't i would like to i wonder if there's anywhere in the world and I don't, I don't know the answer to this, where these kinds of conversations are really welcomed. Mm. You know? That's a good now, point. I know what you mean, because Brit, Brit, Brits do have a way of, at least historically, traditionally, but oh, man, you think there's anywhere where people are like, oh yeah, no, go on, tell me all about your uh, suicidal ideation. I'm here for you. I'm I'm not a very good British person. This must be my Irish side coming out, but because I'm pretty hard on the sleeve, I feel. I'm a pretty soft, squishy, open kind of dude, which I guess is why I'm not offensive exactly, but kind of like a bit of a boat rocker with with some for other folks who want to just kind of you know tut through everything. So the Irish are softies? No, 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 no. I don't mean that. I, they, I think there's a stereotype of of people on Ireland being a little bit more um uh, how should we say maybe outspoken certainly. Okay, a little, little oh. bit less stoic. I think um, there, there's this whole thing of like the British being the only type of people in Earth who apologise for crying at a funeral. <laughs> that kind of people. But um, I was thinking when, when you said that, maybe like the Japanese are a bit more reserved than the Brits. I don't know. Um, different. Yeah, or, yeah, it's a different thing. But yeah. Is, any, is anyone good at this kind of conversation? No, that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, I think maybe Americans generally, obviously there's 300 and some million. Right. Maybe, maybe they're more, they're better at expressing sort of mm-hmm. things emotionally. Yeah, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, but, it, but in terms maybe. of like, I'm just uncomfortable conversation, I guess it's taboo mm-hmm. like anything. It's like, yeah, discussing religion or abortion or any any of those kind of things that have such an impact on people's lives, it's gonna, it's it's always gonna be a a kind of huge mover, isn't it? I suppose for sure. Yeah, I think you're right about maybe Americans being more expressive. I don't know if they're necessarily better at listening well, but that I don't know. You so. mean about kind of like mental illness and stuff like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. I'm I mean, not sure what the stats are in America, but um. I know in Britain, at least, it's, um, I think I'm correct in saying that in the UK, suicide is the biggest killer of men under the age of 45, except heart disease. I think that's true. Even if I'm not quite correct about that, it's still pretty staggeringly high. Right. So if somebody in England went to somebody else in England and said, I've got heart disease, do you think they'd be more open to talk about it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're a bunch of uh, depressed alcoholics, so (laughs) I guess... um, Oh, no, I mean, it's, it's kind of true. We do have a drink problem in this place, I guess, um, you know, and I guess maybe when you get bad weather and, uh, you know, kind of almost like encouraged alcoholism and emotional reticence and, you know, our mental health services here, it's there. There's some amazing individuals that work mm-hmm. in, in mental health. But in terms of the actual support that's that's available here, it's not great, you know, yeah. What what happened? And I know it's challenging because I'm asking you to sort of summarize a lot. Your early twenties mm. and to today. So when I finished university, certain friends of mine sort of had um, family homes to go back to, and like you know, the fridge will be full for the next six months until you get your first job. And I didn't have any of that. Um, mm. You know, that's just the way my my deck felt. So I was working really really hard in kind of service jobs because you know when you're in 
survival mode. You, you can't miss a paycheck when you're kind of hand to mouth like that. So I was kind of working in pubs and bars and nightclubs and stuff. And I was also trying to be a kind of freelance musician, freelance sound engineer, getting like little jobs here and there. But then like when you're a freelancer, I don't know if you have any experience with this, but you, you have to wait. You might wait two months to get paid. Some people might not want to pay you at all. And then you have to threaten to take them to court. And meanwhile, your lights are getting turned off and all this kind of thing. So I was in this weird situation where I was busting pretty hard and just <laughs> kind of feeling like I was working really hard and getting still feeling like my life was falling to pieces. Stress and poverty have a huge stake in, mm -hmm. in mental health problems as well. I also had a kind of uh, bit of legal trouble, which was a, a gigantic um, burden upon me. And I just couldn't run my life, man. I kind, of, I kind of just started feeling like a giant loser. Also kind of like really wanting to accomplish something meaningful with my life. You know what I mean? With the prime mm. of my life. So kind of like wanting to make music that, or, or kind of like, you know, that was the thing since the earliest age, since I was about six or seven, that I just kind of felt, you know, I'm a guy in a band. I should be on stage. I should be in recording studios. Not like I want to be a famous pop star or something like that, but just to like, just to not be wasting 50 hours a week in a cafe so mm. that I could pursue my life's purpose kind of thing. And that was a pain as well, because I felt like I was wasting the sort of prime of my life and a lot of like societal pressure of kind of, you have to have it all done by the time you're 30 or something like that. So yeah, the whole thing was just a big, big mess. And, um, I started to have, I'm not sure what I would call it, but maybe it was like an acute agoraphobia or kind of um, paranoid delusion type thing where I, where I just would like, I was really skittish and kind of anxious. And I'm not a very, I'm a very depressive person, but I'm not a very anxious in the sort of physical ailment sense. I know mm. some people who, I think the word anxiety can be a slightly oversubscribed sometimes mm -hmm. because I think some people conflate it with kind of natural nervousness or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I have had people who've had a serious anxiety disorder quite close to me. And I know how debilitating it can be kind of like, I think I just burned out completely from just kind of stress. I don't know, like I'd miss a phone bill or something. And I would think I would sort of fantasize that like every like loud knock on the door was like a, a bailiff or something like that. Or, or like, um, people were, I don't know, like following me on CCTV or it was bizarre. I, I think that just came from. You know, like when you, you haven't slept on a long haul flight and you just start to lose your mind. I think mm -hmm. that was kind of what I was going through. I was just kind of like so tired and so stressed and so rot, ragged of just kind of like failing over and over again and feeling like a chump and all this kind of stuff. that I just kind of like lost my marbles a little bit. There was one day actually um, when I was in the park with a bunch of I'm, I'm making it sound like I'm like a career criminal or something like that, but this, this really wasn't the case. It was literally just like, I, I don't know. I didn't pay my phone bill on time or something like that, but like the shame of, of that and the kind of like, you know, they send you the letters in, in bright red ink as if you've like done the worst crime of the century. Cause you've missed a 20 pound phone bill or something like that. But yeah, I remember one day I, I was in the park with some friends in, in South, the South of the city. And I think they must've been like, I don't know if you have these things in the States, but like um, we kind of have these fake, fake cops here that mm -hmm. dress exactly the same cops, but they're just for kind of littering and, and like moving you along. If you're, it's legal to drink in public in, in England and Wales. It's slightly different in Scotland and Northern Ireland, but they basically just do low level civil disobedient kind of not, they can't arrest you. But um, I was like having a barbecue with some friends and, and two of these guys like, walked by me and I just had like I guess it must have been like a giant panic attack or something but like I was convinced that like I'd done I'd done something wrong in my past and like forgotten about it or I'd like committed a, a serious crime somewhere and I just blanked it out or something and, and started shaking and stuff and I'm pretty sure I like slightly pissed myself or something mm -hmm. and I just kind of like ran away I'd somehow convinced myself that I was like a fucking criminal or something um, or like I hadn't paid my taxes and people were coming to, and this is completely delusional at this point. I kind of like went into the woods and I, this is a, a while back, so I'm trying to remember, but I'm, I think I tried to like get the idea that I was going to hang myself mm -hmm. and I had like a sweater on me. And I think I tried to make a kind of a noose from a tree. And I think after the like 10th attempt that I, 
I even laughed at myself because I was like, you can't even do this properly. <laughs> and yeah, I kind of, I kind of just gave up and like exhausted myself and went home. You think you would have gone through with it? I don't know, man. That's the trouble with these things is that whenever I have had these things, this is kind of what surprised me about this stuff is that I think sometimes with the notion of suicide, I guess it's unique to every single person that goes through these things. But I think sometimes on the TV, at least, or in fiction, or it's reported as as kind of like a uh, banality, like a kind of harumph, like a, a shrug and a sigh, and then you throw yourself under a train. For me, it wasn't like that. It was utterly petrifying. And I felt like I was losing my mind. I felt like I was in a kind of like nightmare that was just just kind of like insanity making. And this was the kind of final fuck it. Do you know what I mean? And I guess maybe the things that stopped me doing those things is kind of like I say, having a, the most wonderful brother who I just couldn't do that to. And um, I think oddly, I was there actually a week ago or two. There's, there's a quite sad little um, memorial not far from my house, about a mile or two from my house, this oak tree on the edge of the forest near where I live, where a young lad, um, unfortunately, hung himself uh, two years ago. And there's a lot of flowers and kind of poems and things people have read there. I find oddly kind of staring at that stuff or or, or really kind of looking at at the effects of other people's suicides Mm -hmm. and the, the complete like life, permanent life ruining of, of other people it does make me like not want to do that have you seen that documentary about the, the golden gate bridge oh yeah With, of course yeah yeah i mean i thought that was incredibly moving but really oddly kind of like humanizing and healing at the same time so i find that me actually confronting this stuff head-on makes me realize that you should, probably shouldn't do that but it sounds like the main reason you won't do that is because you don't want to hurt other people yes although interestingly it does sometimes make me resent other people, like because it's kind of like, oh god damn it, you're the one I have to stick around for. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, it's it's strange. It's kind of like, oh, if only you weren't so you're such a great friend or brother, I'd be this would be a, an e- not an easy one. Yeah. But um, you think if we took that off the table and that wasn't something that one had to consider in some magical parallel universe, you'd be here right now? I don't know. Yeah. I I think I think it would be uh, much much like more likely that I that I wouldn't. Actually, so after that experience, or it sounds like a lot of experiences, but you you, you shared a couple uh, when you were in the woods. Did you try to get any help? Would you just try to t- tough it out, yeah. kind of on your own? Yeah, I did. Uh, the first therapy I had, I was I must have been twenty seven, twenty eight, mm-hmm. and and at the time I was living with a, a girl. There were extra strains on that because um, she she lived in another country and then she she moved to London. The relationship we had wasn't all terrible but it you know in hindsight it was it it made my problems a lot worse and i'm sure my problems made our relationship a lot worse this is around the time i i was working in one of the parks as a kind of uh truck driver warden type guy and i was having these paranoid delusions that i mentioned beforehand uh and i crashed one of these kind of trucks so it's kind of reversing and i reversed it into a wall and kind of slightly caved in the wall and kind of mashed up this this truck wasn't as dramatic as i'm making it sound but i was just kind of like sort of functioning but catatonic Mm. and i think at that point in time i knew i had to to go find a therapist or something like that yeah i I went for the initial it's really strange i mean they i guess because the services are so um oversubscribed they kind of in this country at least they give you you know we're lucky enough to have have a a universal healthcare system in the, the national health service so even though we all pay through it through our taxes, it's it's free to use. So I'm not going to end up in it with any crazy bills or anything like that. They kind of give you this questionnaire and it's like, you know, how close are you to killing yourself right now on a scale of one to 10? You know, when you're in a doctor's office at two in the afternoon, you tend not to be in that spot. And it's kind of like, you know, is the knife at your wrist? Is it in your wrist kind of thing? If you write anything other than, other than I'm at immediate harm, they'll just say, well, come back when you are about to kill you. And it's just right. like, it's more of a kind of prevention cure as opposed to a prevention but i had an initial six weeks of cognitive behavioral therapy i think the guy i there wasn't much rapport with the therapist and he um i think he quit the job actually pretty soon after and after the initial diagnostic kind of six week two months or whatever it was course i think they sort of realized this is not just a kind of like blip in the in the radar and i had i guess it must have been it must have been nearly two years with this with one other guy it was a painful process. 
but it was ultimately really healing. I kind of feel like therapy should be kind of mandatory, really. Maybe not mandatory, but you go get a physical every year. You go to the dentist once every few months. And, you know, if our bodies break, we know where to go. But we, we don't necessarily, we get told to brush our teeth twice a day or whatnot and, you know, not to smoke. But we don't necessarily get taught how to think healthily, how to run well-coded software on our brains. And that's what I was doing my entire life because I'd inadvertently been taught from pretty much everybody, from my parents to my school to my degrading minimum wage jobs that, you know, you're, you're kind of kind of worthless. You don't deserve happiness and you don't deserve autonomy and agency and love and all, all these kinds of things that, you know, if you get a little bit, a little bit of them in the water, that can go a long way. So mm-hmm. it was bizarre, actually. You know, after about two years of talking to this therapist, I remember this really distinctly, actually. We kind of like, I won't call it a breakthrough because these breakthroughs never, they never quite have the gravitas that you think they do at the time. But, you know, he kind of diagnosed the fact that the reason I get depressed is, is because I don't speak my mind and because I'm inadvertently telling myself that my, I don't exist more or less and that I shouldn't exist and I don't belong anywhere. And that goes all the way back to childhood. From, from not speaking up and for fear of being harmed, really, on angering the beast kind of thing. And it was so simple when he phrased it like that. But to see the way that kind of rippled out across an entire lifetime, it was quite profound. And I remember walking home from this session we had and feeling like there was a giant balloon deflating in my head. And I remember having to kind of sit down on a wall and just kind of breathe hard and take it in. But I, I felt a lot better um, just mm. to have somebody else crystallize it for me like that. I mean, I think with therapy... Because it's not a hard science. Some people kind of scoff at it and say, oh, that's a load of rubbish or whatnot. And then the other thing that infuriated me when I first started trying it is that this is this thing we keep hearing is, oh, we just need to talk about it. Talk about it. Be as open as you can with your feelings. Be Talk, just talk, just talk. But we don't really talk about what happens when you do talk about things and it still hurts or it still isn't getting better. Because that's when you start to feel like this is just a problem with me. I'm cursed. And mm-hmm. maybe my genetics are, you know, there's something in my genes that, that I'm, I'm a broken piece of hardware. But right. from, from that point, I did try some medication. I cannot quite remember what that is, mm-hmm. um, what it was now. But um, I don't think I gave it medication full chance. And because I, I've always been a kind of fitness type person, um, I kind of tried to, well, I've been pretty physically active and fit like that. I kind of tried to put my faith in that. But I, I think for some people, antidepressants are a great idea. And I think for some people, they, they're not. Yeah, but then I continued with the therapy for, I actually went private after a while. That's expensive. Now I tend to have like six months off and then go back to it for a few months and then that type of thing. And I still still do therapy to this day with with one person that lives locally that I have a good rapport with. Um, mm. And yeah, I really value that and need it. I found journaling to be really helpful as well, like audio journaling. About a year ago, I, I, I worked in a college nearby, which means I get the summer off, which is really mm-hmm. good. But it kind of means that I have a lot of free time to myself over the summer. That's usually when all these problems I've been powering through kind of come rushing in. Last summer had a bit of a, I'm not sure if it, this was just another kind of burnout thing, but I was just kind of convinced I was at a harm for myself. And I was kind of like having these, I don't know, these societal pressure things coming in like, oh, I'm 30-ish. I don't have a mortgage yet. You know, my career is kind of, you know, other people are earning more than me or I'm still trying to do the music thing, but I'm feeling like a bit of a chump because I'm maybe past it or this kind of thing. And all these things that I know in the cold light of day don't, you know, they don't determine someone's value. And mm. you, you can do all the whole kind of count your gratitudes thing and think about people in Africa who have to walk 20 miles for right. water and stuff like that. Yeah. But I'm not sure if that stuff helps me very much. Mm. Um, and, you know, I tried the meditation thing and I, I still sometimes get a lot out of it. But then there are other days when I just feel like a perfect crazy person trying to pretend I'm calm and all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not a very manic guy. I don't raise my voice or get angry outwardly very often. But I think the trouble is, is that because I'm very composed, it kind of goes in me and damages me almost. Mm-hmm. It was really sad, actually. A friend of mine, his, his mum passed away quite suddenly. I'm not sure if it was a suicide note exactly, but I kind of became aware that, you know, we could all go away at any moment. 
I'm I'm a person who thinks about suicide a lot, who thinks mm. about what their their own life means to other people, to themselves, who wonders sometimes how much trying I have left in me. Mm. So what I did was I went up to a very rural part up in Scotland, just took some time to walk along up and down like a giant stretch of coastline for a while. And I recorded a kind of, I guess you could call it a memoir or something like that. It was kind of like a, if I get hit by a truck tomorrow, I don't want anybody to be guessing what I think about anything. Audio, audio memoir of sorts. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. And it was kind of like, um, it was like 14 hours eventually. I was there for a few days and it's beautiful up there. Um, it's a really good place to do a lot of thinking. And I think that alarmed a few of my friends because I've heard of this phenomena where you, if people are going to kill themselves, they, they sometimes do what's called a clearing where they kind of like sell all their stuff and, you mm. know, pay all their debts and, and all this kind of thing and make a will and all that. And I, I don't think I was in, I don't think I was at harm of myself that day, but I was thinking about it pragmatically, you know, um, mm. you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to get hit by a garbage truck tomorrow. I, I don't know if, you know, I might. Maybe it may not be today, but I may be 50 and I may go that way one day. I don't know. You may take your life. Yeah. yeah. And it's also kind of like, I think maybe because of the age I am. My brother and I have spoken about this. Um, he doesn't want children. And I'm fairly certain I don't want children either. That's a whole nother 25-hour conversation. But <laughs> this is quite common as well, I think, is that when people have abusive childhoods and dire mm. economic um, starts in life, you know, generational trauma or this kind of thing, it, it can lead people to to not uh, want to run that risk of, of re-damaging a, a small person. I think actually a lot of people who do have children probably shouldn't because they, either they can't afford it or because yeah. they're sort of not, maybe not emotionally or psychologically ready. Um, yeah. And I think the, the, the fallout of that can be catastrophic. Yeah, there was also this kind of thing of like friends of mine getting married and, and having mm -hmm. babies and stuff and, and me kind of knowing that maybe I'm not going to do that and kind of maybe wanting people to hear what I had to say about the kind of big questions. And I, I never, I knew that when I recorded this thing, I wasn't going to be able to cover absolutely everything, but yeah, I kind of sent it to a few close. Friends. Oh, wait, hang on. You, you sent it to people. Yeah, man. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's different. Yeah. That feels different. Yeah. I, but it was, it was kind of like a, don't listen to this unless I'm not here type thing. So there was nothing oh. like massively, massively revelatory in it. Um, I think I am pretty transparent with the people I love um, about what I think. And, and that was last year? Well, I kind of finished it um, fairly recently, but the, the oldest recordings kind of went back there. But it was kind of like, you know, this is kind of like three hours on my mom, three hours on my dad, three hours on my brother, three hours on religion, three hours on, I don't know, just like kind of the things that matter to me, really, just so that mm -hmm. I just didn't want, I don't know, I just felt like I didn't want, in Britain at least, people don't, have a healthy attitude to death. They sort of spend their entire lives thinking that it's not going to happen to them or anyone around them. And then when it comes, we're completely ill-equipped to deal with it. And I just didn't mm -hmm. want somebody like, I just didn't want somebody like, I'm not a religious person in, in any way. So I didn't want somebody kind of just, I don't know, saying saying I'm in the arms of the father or any of that kind of stuff. You know, I, I, think, I think death is a part of life. And I think it's wise to be m not morbid, but just be mindful that it's it's going to happen to us all at some point. It's going to happen to everybody you know, and that's why you kind of need to make at least how I feel this one chance at living kind of meaningful and be be a decent person whilst you're here. Did you ever get diagnosed with something you think is correct? I mean, I never I never got diagnosed with like bipolar disorder or or kind of like manic anything. I did speak to a doctor. Um, I'm actually on some antidepressants now. A couple months after that that trip I was talking to you about, I did um, go on to some other antidepressants, but they really didn't agree with me. I got the mm. the zaps quite quite bad, and quite frankly, I, I actually think that like a lot of my depression is circumstantial. Really, it's more like a kind of re a reasonable reaction to some adverse circumstances, as opposed to necessarily a mm. like I like I need to take lithium or something like that. But yeah. no, I, I never I never got diagnosed with kind of. Um, BPD or, or any of that kind of thing. I think it was just a lot of latent PTSD, frankly. That's a diagnosis though, no? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, there, I don't really give a shit about diagnoses, but there are tools sometimes to help. That's all. You know, they're a way to figure some shit out. I think I definitely agree that like, it's a toolkit, right? So mm -hmm. there's the meditation in the gym, then there's the clinicians and the medicine 
and then there's the diet and then there's the sleep and it's all of these things that can aid us in in combating these things i don't i don't believe there's a panacea to all of this stuff but um medicines can i've always thought of them as more kind of like a carjack to take the weight off yeah. whilst you can get under the hood to kind of do the the repairing so yeah those things and kind of beta blockers and stuff have helped me i guess you've got to try anything right i, I guess i mean you do it until you can that's the thing you're off of work today what, what kind of work are you doing these days i'm i'm still sort of being a music guy to some extent i work in a kind of recording studio college type thing but for various reasons i'm thinking of actually moving away from that now and just sort of keeping music as a kind of i was playing in a band until quite recently and that's that's kind of broken up i'm thinking of moving up to scotland um to a small village and just kind of downsizing everything uh london can be quite hectic like big capital cities yeah i think i think um i kind of need to break up with myself now and I'm kind of just envisioning, I've got a good squad of people up there as well. So I'm kind of just thinking of even just taking like a kind of, the things that help me at least um, when I do get dark, you know, vexed and stuff like that is, um, I'm a big fan of campfires. So I Mm -hmm. I quite often, if I I can't sleep, I just wander into the forest and I find building fire really, really therapeutic because it kind of gets you out of your head. And, you know, once you get it going, you can just kind of stare at this, completely compelling and stilling kind of silent crackling thing and it it just really calms me down definitely kind of want to have a year of just wandering up and down a beach and i was thinking maybe i'll just go i don't know work on a crab boat or something and there's a slower pace of life up in scotland as well there's something to do with the slightly harsher climate up there i think it mellows people out in, in a way being around the ocean and giant mountains uh, it kind of gives you perspective. Maybe that spreadsheet you were getting yelled about at work maybe it wasn't that big a deal, do you know? Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've never, I've never been one of those people that I've kind of always had a bit of a zoomed out perspective on things, uh, which I guess makes me pretty uniquely infuriating to to certain types of people. But I've, I've always kind of had this sense of, you know, we're only here for seven decades if we're lucky. So I, I don't really take that kind of day job stuff that seriously. I wanted to ask you of the people you have in your life, your brother, it sounds mm. like some friends, can you have these kinds of, not necessarily this kind of conversation, but you know, like a more difficult conversation, hard, really hard stuff. Yeah, I think so. I think I'm yeah. really lucky with that actually. My baby brother, it's weird actually. He's kind of my hero. He's, he's younger than me, but he's, um, he's kind of like the, the me, but without the, rain clouds over his head oh. constantly kind of like the, the big friendly giant kind of lumberjack looking dude he's extremely patient and he's really good at kind of keeping me on track of all the good things i have when when kind of um or all the kind of reminding me of all the people who 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 love me and think i'm hilarious and talented and 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 all this kind of thing so yeah i have him i have mm. a number of friends that suffer with similar ish kind of mental health complaints Mm -hmm. and a few people who kind of work in the kind of they're not psychologists but they're sort of working in kind of well-being and encouraged by there seems to be some kind of shift at least in in this country towards a more open dialogue about these things you know how how long it takes that for that to kind of embed in the society i don't know where i am right now i because I'm off work on sort of mental health stress leave. I went, I went to the hospital a couple of weeks ago because I was, I just felt really manic and I felt like either I'm going to smack somebody. I'm not a violent person at all, but that's what I was feeling like, or, or mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of hurt myself or something. And whilst there are people who realize how serious that is, I'm sure that there are a few dinosaurs that still don't see these things as, as the same thing as breaking a leg or, or that type of thing even though the side effects can be as fatal as as lung cancer or a brain tumor yeah. how how that changes societally i don't know i mean there are some people who i speak to and they're extremely supportive and helpful and and they just kind of like ride it with you do you know yeah, yeah. that's that that tends to be the main thing is just sounding off at somebody and and then there are some people that that just suggest you have a chamomile tea and then go away it's like sure. yeah Right. So, you didn't. Um, you didn't. You didn't know. You didn't know that was an option. Thanks for reminding me. Right. <laughs> no, I'm not knocking uh, chamomile tea, but um. No, I'm yeah. knocking the person, but that's me knocking, not you knocking. Yeah, sure, sure. Does anybody uh, know that you're on the podcast? 
Yeah, yeah. My, I, I told my brother about it, and um, oh, cool. a buddy of my, another buddy of mine who's a musician who um, he's a sensitive soul as well. And I know he gets to some dark places. Sometimes it's weird, actually. Sometimes when I'm um, feeling really bad, I actually go on Reddit. I, I talk to random people about how they're doing. You know, I don't think that makes me a, a saint or anything like that. But it's a weird way of being selfish in a strange way, because mm. it costs me nothing. You know, somebody I don't know gets a little touch of kind of kindness from somebody they don't expect anything from. It's funny how those little interactions can turn a day, do you know? Reddit, Reddit's the best platform for that? Uh, maybe it's not, but it seems to be the one that I I find uh, yeah. that is is kind of most um, active, I guess. So, yeah, and, right, and right. It, it teaches me things as well. It teaches me not not necessarily it could be worse, but like, I don't know, just saying to somebody like, Oh well, I was in this situation, and then and then this happened, and then I got out of it this way. And anything you can mm. think of, all this really helped me. And I just think it helps people to feel less. Um, you've got a terrible kind of echo chamber up there, you know. That that if yeah. if it's intended, it it can it can lead you to to imagine that you're like worse than Stalin or whatnot. And like I even had that said to me by a therapist. They were like, "You were talking about yourself as though you were like Ted Bundy times 20. <laughs> You guys know about Ted Bundy over there? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. We got the American serial killer thing, and you guys know about that? Oh, yeah, That's... you guys do real serial killers. You started it, so stop. <laughs> you, you didn't, we well, fucking borrowed it, and we did it better, but you started that shit. <laughs> well, we'll call it a collaboration, I guess. You shared a couple of sort of anecdotes, not anecdotes, like the one thing, like the, I don't know if it was the most recent one where you came really close. You mentioned the wood. Did you tell anybody about that? Because that sounded rather intense. No, I don't think I did actually. Yeah, that's that, that's what it's like. Ooh, there's a limit usually, right? There's a limit. We'll talk, but mm. I actually really spooked a bunch of people um, this summer. Like I said, every summer I tend to have a bit of a an episode mm-hmm. because it's a, a time to take stock when I have, frankly, a little bit too much time to myself. And I was staying with some friends up in Edinburgh and um, up in Scotland. I was kind of couch surfing with people up there, and it was so strange. It was like I was staying in um, a spare room. Yeah, so so my my friend whose office I was staying in, she she was like knocking on the door to get in because she had to do a call for work, and she wasn't mad at me, um, but I just had these like mad feelings of guilt and shame, like oh I've, I'm in the way and all this kind of thing, and you know she's probably really mad at me, and then I kind of went to like the beach and stuff, and I just started bawling, like I just this is this is a good story actually. It was kind of like the fourth friend I was crashing with. And I was just in this spot where I kind of felt like I have nowhere to belong, like up here. I, I'm like in everybody's way and and all this kind of thing. And I was crying. I was just like on the beach, just kind of um, weeping. And I was just like, I shouldn't be on this planet. Like, I feel like an alien. All these people up here have like their careers and jobs. And I'm up here trying to find a job or something. And, and I was just staring out at the sea. And I swear to God, if this had happened in a movie, I would have thought it was the cheesiest thing in the world. But I was standing on the beach. And a birthday balloon with 100th birthday washed up on the shore right in front of my feet. And mm. I don't believe in this stuff. Like, I'm, I'm aware that primates are good at spotting patterns. And it just made me think, like, I'm feeling like I don't belong and I don't deserve another day on this earth. And, like, the ocean has given me this 100th birthday balloon. And it's telling me I deserve to live to my 100th birthday. And mm. I, I just, I just, I just cried. It was just like a joy cry. I was like, "Oh my god, this is beautiful!" And then do you know what happened? A dog ran up and shredded the thing into ribbons. And I That's laughed. Perfect. My, That's kind I of a laughed, cool way for that. Time. I laughed my ass off. I laughed so hard, and I didn't think there's anything that could make me laugh at that point in time. I just remembered that. But um, yeah, I kind of scared everybody though because after that, I was like, "Right, I have a purpose now." So I'm gonna I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna research like going back to school or getting a new job or something like that. And I just wanted to focus, and I turned my phone off for about five days, and then I turned my phone on, and I was just like 98.5 million missed calls, and like the police were looking for me and stuff. Oh and, shit. And I realized that if I do need to be quiet and just have a meditative focus few days, I really need to tell people because I, <laughs> they know what I'm, how my mind can be. And I really spooked some people. And I think it's not fair to do that to people who care about you. So I'm, I, I had to do a lot of apologizing that week. So you think you're going to make it to 100? Gosh, that's a good question. Um, well, no, you, think- you said it. I'm just listening hey, to what you said. Yeah. Never thought about it. Yeah. Uh, I think anything more than 100 is probably a bit too much probably you know? yeah i think i think by the time you get to 
sort of 90 ish. I mean, my, my Nana, she's uh, 86 now and she's a really, she's pretty hip for, a, she still wears kind of rainbow converse Chuck Taylor sneakers and stuff. So she's pretty sharp. So I think if I can get to that bit, I'll be, I've got to say, I, I'm a bit like, a, I, th- I think it's maybe true that people who've had stressful or sort of mental problems in their lives, I think they tend to live less long lives because of just the kind of the engine's been run a bit ragged, but I'd like to, I'm not scared of being dead. I'm scared of, I'm scared of kind of not, I'm scared of like living a life squandered or, um, but then I'm I'm also aware that I take things too seriously or I, people always tell me to be kinder to myself. So I'd like to get a handle on that at some point. And I'd like to maybe, it's weird actually. I feel like lately when things are going great or, or I'm in a good mood, I feel like I'm almost, because I had so much worry and strife during my early part of my life, I feel like I'm almost having a kind of second childhood in a weird way or a second mm-hmm. adolescence. Like, a, yeah, so I'm, I'm capable of being carefree and kind of joyful and humorous yeah. and ironic and all these kinds of things. I guess it's not reasonable to be, I don't know about you, but I feel, I know some people who are kind of, they present as perpetually joyful, like kind of sure. perpetually pathologically optimistic, I guess you could say. Right. I'm the opposite. I don't know how you are. Me and you both. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm um yeah, yeah. I'm kind of like cheerfully fatalistic or something, I guess. I also think what they're doing isn't healthy or sane. Yeah. Maybe maybe sane's the wrong word. I shouldn't say that. Maybe they just had too much chamomile tea. <laughs> An overdose. <laughs> chamomile <Yeah>. tea. <laughs> That's the tapestry of being human though, isn't it? You it's never gonna be you staple a grin to your face the moment you wake up and that's there the whole day. And, yeah, that's you know, strange. You know, you can't be like, I've I've lost my leg, but I was trying to lose some weight anyway. So, you know, you know, cheer up. It's, you, you have to be able to make room for all of those, that spectrum of feeling. Obviously, I'm, I'm a musician and I'm a big music lover. The way people talk about music is, is pretty squalid, I think, a lot of the time when they talk about happy music or sad music. Like a movie. Is there such thing as a sad movie or a happy movie? I think it's like a, it's more complicated than that. A lot of happy music makes me pretty, pretty sad, to be honest with you. Sure, and a lot sure. Of- I, I think I understand what you're saying. Yes. There are weird kind of adjectives, and I don't like oh. adjectives because of that reason, even though I just said weird, which is ironically, and actually, yeah, simplifies things. And you're right. I like the word you use, tapestry. That seems right. Yeah, well, there's a dialogue, right? Do you know the, the philosophy experiment, you know, the grief pill? Have you heard of this thing? I don't think so, no. So grief is kind of, is terrible, right? like life deranging maddening so they invent the grief pill right this is pill that cures grief and then so say for example somebody loses somebody who's very close to them and they're completely distraught and inconsolable and then somebody comes along and says oh don't worry i've got the grief pill Mm -hmm. so so that you can just pop this thing and you know boom sun sunshine lollipops it's whether that's ethical to do that or not oh it's a good question Yeah. yeah 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 because you know, the fact that you're sad gives meaning to, or, or destroyed is, is is a measure of, of how much you love this person or how meaningful this was. And Well, yeah. You could argue there's a reason we grieve. It's not arbitrary. Yes. If there was no reason for it, it probably wouldn't exist. Whether you believe in God or some evolution or something else, there's a reason. So well, I don't necessarily know all the ins and outs of why, but it's there. Yeah. Well, it's like if you if this person then departs and you were just like, oh, well, yeah, I'm sure there's some wrinkles in that that I I missed out. But um, no, no, it's a, my last question. And then, of course, you can add what you want. When you think about I, I'll say the word suicide, but that can include, you know, obviously ideating or even other mental health related things. Yes. Um, are there any myths or at least one big myth that you think about that you think is uh, untrue or or bullshit? I mean, I guess maybe referencing what I said beforehand, I think it's probably unique to to everybody's depression and and suicide ideation or ultimate demise by that um, method is um, Mm. probably unique to to everybody that goes through it. I think I'm very keen to dispel, because I'm a musician, uh, the sort of tortured artist um, Mm -hmm. trope, you know, the way that people like, say, Kurt Cobain, romanticized and um i i don't think it should be dressed up as anything other than really awful i mean that guy was exceptionally gifted kind of songwriter but he didn't have a great life mm-hmm. uh, didn't have a happy life 
drug addiction and wasn't wasn't a well person. And unfortunately, a, a little girl had to grow up without their, their father. So we definitely shouldn't um, uh, dress that up as anything other than the tragedy that it is. As I said before, I think the the banality of suicide, I think is a, at least in my case, is not so. Because cause when I have felt at harm of myself, I've felt like I'm sort of trapped in a cell mm. with a, a person who, who, who wants to destroy me. And it's terrifying. It's mm-hmm. it's completely mania uh, instilling, except that that person is is me. <laughs> yeah, this idea of it just being a kind of sigh and a shrug in the off I off I go over the overpass. Um, that's that's not such the the case. I suppose the other thing I would say is this this thing I said before. It's like the just talk about it, just talk about it. But sometimes you talk about it and you feel worse. You really don't know what to do. I'm not sure. I don't have any answers in in that sense. Because I guess maybe the things that afflict people are unique and maybe the things that also help people are, are unique as well. If you had just an answer that just solves shit, believe me, we'd probably know it already. You know what I mean? There are no, there, there's no real answers here. I asked the yeah. question around myths because shit, if I knew the answers, mm. I would just be having a pie. I don't know what I would do, but don't you feel like people mm. would be already able to do that and apply them if, if we figured, you know, we just don't know what the fuck we're doing. We're trying. No, we don't. We're just kind of big drunk babies that are grown up and trying to yeah. well, we're, apes. we're apes aren't we and we have an adrenal gland that's too big and you know we um I, i'm fond of a proverb actually i think it's from comes from ireland but it's this notion that you can't change the weather but you can set the sail and i, I quite like and it's not not how i'm sure it's phrased in many, many different ways but i i quite True. like that yeah this kind of this idea that it's just kind of sailors banding together around a, a kind of mast post and Maybe just go to sleep and then see what tomorrow see what tomorrow says. Do you know what I mean? Maybe bear in mind the fact that you haven't murdered somebody, unless mm-hmm. you have. But most of us haven't, and right. uh, you know you probably haven't harmed a child. And but it's strange, isn't it? Because when you're in that spot, those things, those kind of like Instagram shelf help kind of gimmick kind of things, not helpful. I no. think sometimes making fun of yourself. There's this term uh, I use with my buddies, which is uh, shit bliss. When things get so bad, you start laughing at yourself because you just yeah. can't take it seriously anymore. Yeah, yeah, for sure, um, for sure. And, you know, we have a pretty dark sense of humor over this side of the, the water. So that, that bleeds into a lot of that stuff, I guess. But um, I mean, yeah. you, started, you started the serial killing, so that, make, that, that tracks. <laughs> I don't know who, I don't actually know who did it, but I think. Uh, and it oh, that's been going matter. on since, uh, since, yeah. the, since Genghis Khan and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, it makes for some good song lyrics, though, that's for sure. Oh, I bet. So I, I think maybe putting our um, our faith in kind of things like poetry and, and music and film and things that are beautiful. Nature is a huge help for me. Exercise is a huge one. I have um, been doing a little bit of psychedelic therapy, should we say, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. lately, which I think when properly applied, yeah, I think that really can be uh, a serious, serious asset to... Um, getting you out of, you know, being around animals as well. That sounds like a kind of kitsch thing to say, but, uh, you know, even just like taking the pleasure and walking the dog, like dogs are just kind of, I don't know, they're just my favorite things and they, they get you out of your head, out of your yeah. kind of protracted adult yeah. head. We need to be more canine. I feel like you have the beginning lyrics of a new song uh, right there. <laughs> I don't know what the title is, but I like the idea of be more canine. That's resonating. I'll follow that. See where that goes. Yeah. Oh okay. God. Yeah. Let me let, let me know if you get a hit out of that. Well, I have to credit uh, you, co-writer. Now. So. Hey. Cool. I, I don't give a shit about co-writing. Just send me the fucking check. How's that? <laughs> Deal. Cool, man. Thanks very much for sharing all that. I appreciate it. You are you're articulate and honest and um, wise man, and hopefully not too tortured. Even though I know we're not doing the tortured art thing, but you you know, the struggle is real, and I know it's not. Well, easy. do you too, man? I, I know you've had your struggles as well. So yeah. I appreciate. You. Taking the time to talk to me. And I hope you're. How are you? Are you? If you don't mind me asking, I'm. I'm always going to be like, all right. I do the what I can. I, I don't aim too high. Weirdly enough, I just don't try mm. to. But I'm all right. You know, this podcast helps me a lot. I've said it from <laughs> yeah. the very beginning. It's kind of a a selfish act in some ways, though. I hope I'm serving in some way as well. I think I am. It really oh, does. I'm happy to hear that, man. Well, listen, you've really, you really have um, helped me, and I like the um, levity with which you yeah. approach it. 
Radiohead playing in the background, it would be a bit interminable. Where about some before that? Where about you in the states right now? You said you're Central Time. No, actually, so weirdly, I'm from North Carolina, which is Eastern, but um, I'm spending a few weeks in uh, Mexico, so I'm Central. Oh, dude, that's a great country. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Go get some. Uh, it's tough to have a bad meal in Mexico, so enjoy. I shall enjoy. us uh, enjoy some local cuisine, and I hope your evening uh, or wherever you are now. Yeah, your evening, late evening goes okay. I'm probably just gonna yeah turn in, but uh, I appreciate you, man. Keep up the good work, and thanks for taking the time to listen to me today. Take care. Bye bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. Special thanks to you and. We spoke in England, now lives in Scotland. Thank you, you, and enjoy your stay up there. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com. On Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. And check the show notes. We've got all sorts of stuff going on. Ways you can support and sponsor us, our programs and presentations, other ways to contact us, our upcoming membership program, and have a look if you'd like. Whatever you do, however you participate, as always, we really do appreciate it. So thank you. And oh, by the way, uh, as of this week, we surpassed 14,000 downloads per month. I don't give a shit about the numbers. I just like that more people in more places are hearing it and hopefully feeling a little less shitty and a little less alone. And that is all for episode number 145, likely the final one I'm recording from Mexico. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.